Welcome everybody to Spiratics by Sideline Sports Network. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, it is officially Miami Hate Week. Uh, my favorite time of the year, personally. Uh, I hate the Gators, but I hate Miami just as much. So um, I'm an extreme advocate for this week. I love Miami or UF Hate Week. Personally, my favorite time of the year. So I will be taking as many jabs and punches and and kicks and elbows and anything I can at Miami this week. Just because it's Miami Hate Week. This show is brought to you by Game Day Vodka. Uh, please go check them out at gamedayvodka.com. Or as long as you are of age, uh, 21 years or older, you can find their product in um, ABC uh, Spirits. And you can also find them in um, Publix Grocery and something. But anyways, go find them. Um, we will be talking a little bit about the, the ending of, or the results of the Georgia Tech game with Florida State, and we will also be talking about the beginning of hate week for Miami. So it will be a fun show, um, not too much, um, not too much to worry about in my opinion with Florida State moving forward. Syracuse, um, are, are potentially losing, um, What's his name? Schrader. Um, their quarterback may be out for. He, uh, Dino Babers actually did the press conference uh, earlier today, and he kind of uh, was talking about it. it was like an ankle injury or something. And it was clearly a concussion kind of issue going on there. I don't think he really wanted to put that out there. Um, but, yeah, that's something to definitely worry about uh, for the coming weeks because concussions can kind of go on from time to time and they can kind of linger. So you never know. Absolutely. So we will start with Florida state and Georgia tech. Um, my score prediction was one point off. Yeah. My score prediction was 41 to 17. And because they didn't allow them to, to kick the extra point at the end, it ended up being 41 to 16. So I was one point off. Um, I will say um, betters are pretty happy because uh, Florida State was 21, uh, 24 point favorites, and just because we didn't, they didn't kick the extra point at the end, uh, you didn't have to settle for a push and lose half the money. So that's true. There's that. So, hey, I'm glad that y'all got your money. Um, I also got money off of it, so I'd rather get the money off of it than to be right exactly. Um, so, uh, I'm glad that everybody that did bet on the game, I'm glad you won your money. If you bet it against us or you bet it against the points, then I don't feel bad for you. Uh, you should have you should have listened to Vegas at this at this point in time of the season because Florida State was by far the superior team, even with a first quarter just collapse. We looked absolutely ridiculous in the first quarter. Here we go again on the two yard line or possibly the one yard line. Hell, I don't know. We were really close. And we line up in a wildcat for what I seem to be the first time this year. Maybe we did it one other time. But for the first time this year that it mattered, in my opinion, um, I wouldn't have mind this play call if we were in the second quarter or third quarter and we were up by 14 or 21 points. Wouldn't bother me at all. But you're trying to get your first points in the game and you get cute and you cause your quarterback and 
running back to get into a situation where they can get hurt, having to track the guy down that's taking the ball back the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I told everybody the Florida State's defense was going to have to stand up in this game and the defense would be the difference in this game. Well, the defense caused Georgia Tech to punt or go three and out five consecutive times in a row. Uh, they 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 played a great game in my opinion. There was a couple of blown coverages, uh, missed assignments here and there. Yeah. But luckily, our line uh, with Thabo back was able to implode the center of that offensive line to the point that he couldn't get open so i will ask this though um and i can i can kind of get feedback from both of y'all because i know georgia tech was running in there with the two quarterback system with jeff sims kind of being sidelined as an emergency option they had zach gibson who started out the game kind of struggled at times but you had the true freshman zach uh pyron that actually played decent for that team do you think it was a little bit more confusing with how he was playing and they just weren't really putting him out there in, in great situations. Do you, do you think that that probably would have been the better option? I'm not saying that they would have won the game by any, any stretch of imagination, but I am saying, like, it seemed like their offense was kind of moving a little bit more with him. The offense, to me, didn't look good at all for Georgia yeah. Tech. Yeah. Um, when, they come, when they come throwing the ball, uh, a lot of times he was hurried or he just – yeah. One hopped it. I'll be honest with you. I think, I think that Georgia Tech could have been more productive if they'd have done more things across the middle of the field. Um, yeah. If if they would have went across the middle of the field, it it would have been it would have been a little bit more production there until we would have put a spire, brought that safety down. Yeah. Not positive who JJ51JCJC is, but he said, "Great job, fellas," and he sent us ten bucks. So appreciate it. Not exactly sure where that goes, but I'll find out. Um, I do appreciate the ten bucks, though. Um, there, you know. Look, here's the thing that I was that I will say. I personally believe at this point in time of the season that Georgia Tech's defense, especially linebacker wise is a better core than what Miami's is. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that an all-around better defense, but I could almost argue that point. Yeah, they were very aggressive. I thought their linebackers were really key in what they do originally. Um, primarily, they, they don't really scare me up the middle. I know they had that huge defensive tackle that weighed about 320 pounds up the middle. You could really see a, a clear resemblance of why he could be an Alabama caliber type player, but his consistency wasn't really there. It was more of just a run stopper. So it's very confusing to me how, you know, a lot of times with their defensive backs, they allowed a lot of decent plays there. I think Florida State just shot themselves in the foot, like you talked about before. When they got in the red zone past the 20, just seemed like they couldn't really get anything to go, or it just had to be something that had to miraculously happen. Um, and I think that was just primarily to the fact of them having nine plays over 20-plus yards. I mean, Florida State relied on the chunk plays, and that's just where their defense was at that out afternoon. Well, I think where Florida State's going to be able to take a great advantage against Miami this week, and I'm talking about this as we're talking about each game because I kind of like the way we're comparing. Um, I think that Florida State's going to be able to take advantage of the corners of Miami the same way that we were taking advantage of the corners – at Georgia Tech, especially with Johnny Wilson. Um, I don't know that that Miami has a corner that's over six foot two. 
I'm pretty sure that's the tallest guy that they got. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think we can take a huge. We'll, we'll have a huge, a huge mismatch with Johnny versus whoever they got. And then our run game, I think personally, we're going to run the ball down the throat. I think it's going to look very similar. I think what Florida State's game plan is against Miami is going to be very similar to what we just did against Georgia Tech, only breaking to the outside a little bit more because the interior of Miami's defense is a little bit better than that defensive line from Georgia Tech. It's very encouraging because Mike Norvell talked about it in his press conference. He was talking about the injury issues of, of certain players on the team. And he, he brought up Treshawn Ward. And he talked about how he was almost going to be available to play. He practiced a little bit later in the week. Didn't really get to that level where he was comfortable in playing. Of course, with it being Georgia Tech, you really didn't want to risk much injury. But now you're at a Miami week in, in this situation. I think it's going to be very key for everything going on. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how – Trayshawn Ward gets back into the fold. They're averaging 206 yards a game, so it's very impressive to see with everything going on there. So I think that the running game for us is going to be so key because you have Trey Benson, you have Lawrence Stubbilly, you're having C.J. Campbell come back into the fold. I think that was very important for him because of everything that's going on with those seasoning injuries and everything. So it's very important to see those type of running backs in this system getting back together because during this four-game stretch, Florida State's going to need it, and they're a run-oriented offense. They they do everything they can to run the football efficiently, and I think it's going to be basically kudos to David Johnson. I think he's done a really good job with that group and how they've kind of built together and built that team foundation. I think it's very important for the rest of the year that Treshawn Ward just continues to dominate. He's one of the most patient runners that we have on the team, probably one of the most skilled. Not a knock to Trey Benson, but I do think that he is a different type of runner, and I think you need all of their skill sets to be successful. So, Chip, while we're on the running back, room how did you feel about seeing cj campbell get his first touchdown as a no i absolutely love seeing the panama city native um get his first touchdown to actually see him step on the field because of everything he had to overcome before the season started you know with the broken leg that he was rumored to be out for the season that just shows his hard work and his dedication and to see both him and Rodney get the tote the tote the rock, dude. We got we've got some running backs yeah. for for the years to come. Yeah, and another one that I would like to talk about is Rodney Hill. He came into the game, yeah. and I mean he ran like a bat out of hell. It was it's great to see that that's what we're getting for the future of the Knowles. Uh, Rodney Hill was absolutely just, man. He was starving for that touchdown that CJ ended up getting. He was starving for it. If he'd have broke one more tackle on that last run before they pulled him out, yeah, he would have been in the end zone. So it worked out the way it was supposed to, so CJ could get his first touchdown because Rodney actually got his first touchdown against Old Dominion this year. Mm-hmm. So it was cool that CJ got put back in and got his first touchdown of the year as a Noel. Um, and I was very surprised that we brought in. Uh, we had Julian Armella come in. Um, yeah. He had a couple of pancakes in there that was very impressive to see from him. You want to see more consistency from him, and I think that's what they're waiting for him to see, really. Because the even even Jalen Early that came in on right tackle, yep, that was very key to kind of see those guys kind of gel together. Because not this season, but you're going to need them for next season. Whenever Dylan Gibbons and Demetrio Emmanuel and Jazz Jazz Turntine, they're all leaving, so you have to figure out ways to be successful in the run game. And those guys, man, those. They are some tanks. 
on the offensive line. Yeah, and I was proud to see Estes come in as well. He came in. You know, Tate didn't get to make a pass, but Tate looked comfortable. I was proud to see that he was comfortable. Look, all of us sitting at home on the couch, all we see is um, how easy a handoff should be. That should be a very routine play. Well, you saw on the Wildcat, taking a snap is not the easiest thing in the world. When you don't do it over and over again repetitively, it's not the easiest thing to accomplish. So for Tate to come in cold, for C.J. Campbell to come in cold, because C.J. on the touchdown score – no, it was Rodney Hill, excuse me. Rodney Hill on the 11-yard gain, he snatched the ball out of the middle of the air because it was bobbled, and he took off running and then ended up with a first down. But that's what I'm saying. When they come in cold like that, it's not just as routine as people think or as easy as you think to make those transitions, especially in the RPO where you're deciding whether you're going to hand it off or you're going to pass it. And I was just proud to see that there was no mistakes by the young guys. Um, Julian Armella coming in, like Taylor said, he had a couple of pancakes, which was great to see. And like I said, seeing uh, early in Estes, it, it made me feel a lot better because they were able to hold their own because I can assure you Georgia Tech did not take out their first string at that point in time. They had their guys on the field. So, Chip, I got a question for you. So, everyone talked about the wide receiver position for Florida State last year. We, we saw it. They were close to the bottom of the ACC at that point. You brought in three transfer wide receivers. But you got guys like Malik McLean and also Ja'Kai Douglas. And you're seeing the fruits of the labor of, of having Ja'Kai Douglas coming off of injury you're seeing these last two games that he's had, and it's it's been kind of remarkable to see that. What have been kind of your thoughts on Ja'Kai Douglas and how he's played so far through these through this two-game stretch, really? Well, Ja'Kai Douglas is a dominant in the rough for us. Um, he was the spark in the Miami game last year. And so far, you know, like I said, when Micah Pittman became a part of our receiving, there was something, the attitude Micah Pittman brought – to our receiving core has carried over. And even after he's gone, like, you know, you know, even getting to meet Ja'Kai after the game, um, that kid, he's built like, he's built like a running back. And uh, he, he's, he's the perfect slot receiver. Um, I would have liked to seen him earlier in the year to seeing what kind of damage he can do. He can do. And it looks like he's trying to make up for lost time. So I will ask both of y'all this question. I can't believe we've already covered everything that we have in 15 minutes, but this is what happens when you get on a roll. Um, defensively and offensively, who is your player of the game? Taylor, you can start. I'll kind of go with the underrated guy on defense. Um, and this is kind of a shout out to him. I made a post a little bit earlier about him, but Winter Warner. Um, this is a guy that you thought was going to transfer out of the program. He got hurt. Uh, he's been through a lot. He was a Jimbo recruit at one point, had one and a half sacks, uh, four tackles on the, on the game. He had one and a half tackles per loss. I mean, this guy was all over the field in the second half, and you really saw his impact and presently coming there. And you saw Adam Fuller talk about it. He might have an expanded role coming up, and he's going to help our football team later on with his senior leadership. He's already a redshirt senior, and this point in time, you have to find some ways to be effective. And you got guys like Darian McClendon on the on the roster. You got a guy like Jared Verse. You got Patrick Payton. You got different guys like that that can be successful. 
but you also got an experienced guy like Warner who I thought came into this game and was really kind of having a chip on his shoulder. And I was very impressed to see and very happy for him to get that first sack and get everything out of the way for him. And I thought that was something that he really needed. As for the offensive side of the ball, I think Lawrence Taylor had it. Um, I think those two fumbles really didn't help him out a whole lot. He's still got to work on a little bit more consistency, but you're seeing the fruits of the labor kind of coming off on him and, and being able to be a weapon out of the backfield, I think is very efficient for him, especially when Florida State's receivers are kind of inconsistent here and there. You're still seeing that inconsistency coming, but you've seen the group kind of come together. And I think Chicago Douglas can kind of tie everything in together, but you can also see a guy like Lawrence Toe Philly that's being more successful too. So there's just a whole lot of weapons there, but I would definitely have to go with Lawrence Toe Philly in this regard. Mine on defense, I would have to say, would be Fabian Lovett coming back. You actually saw his presence on creating havoc in the middle uh, in the middle of the offensive line, getting the push that we needed. We haven't had that in the last three to four weeks, um, and it was great having him back. Um, um, that that absolutely made my day to see the big man manhandling those um, those scholars from Georgia Tech. But um, on offense, I would have to say Trey Benson. He's our bull in the china shop. Um, he ran hard. He reminds me, and I've said this a thousand times y'all before, he reminds me of Marion Barber, the way he just runs with a reckless abandon. Um, he definitely he gets my offensive player, you know, player of the week. And um, I can't wait for us to get Treshawn back in there. He's more of our, our steady hand. To where Treshawn, when he comes in, he's our like I said, a bull in the china shop. I'm I'm gonna go with on offense. I'm gonna start on that side. Is um, it's, it was really hard for me. The two I went between was Jordan Travis and Johnny Wilson. Um, but I'm gonna go with Johnny Wilson just because he's been the most consistent wide receiver at this point. He's uh, I mean that was that was no small task that he made on that touchdown to be able to juke that guy out just to sidestep that he did completely put on his brakes and then accelerate completely back out of it for a man that is six foot seven, 200 and something pounds. That's not an easy thing to do. So the speed that Johnny Wilson has in his athleticism was awesome to see. Um, defensively, I'm going to go with Derek McClendon. Um, he had one and a half sacks, I believe in this game, but the amount of hurry ups that he had, on the quarterback and how many sack or tackle for loss or tackles that he had in the game was very impressive. So those were my two. And special teams fits hit everything that he needed to hit. And I'm not just saying this. I'm being honest. He could have been. I think it was going into halftime. Uh, well, right before we kicked the ball back off to him at half, uh, we kicked a 37 yarder. I think. Yeah. It was something like that. But it was right down the middle. Um, you can tell by his mechanics that he's changed his kicking style back to what he was doing. So a little bit of inside information. He was taught what he what he's naturally done is a three step kick, and what he's what they changed it to was a two step kick, which is what you're used to seeing in the NFL. He's been trying the two step kick; it has not worked for him, um, as y'all could tell. Uh, he went back to his natural. Uh, kicking mechanics, which is a three-step before he kicks the ball. So uh, kudos to him for going right back to what he's used to and putting it through the uprights. Um, 
Yeah, and he has not even missed a field goal since I believe the Wake Forest game. I think that was his right. last right. field goal. And you talk about confidence level. You're talking about a togetherness, a team. I think that's very important to see just it go through the uprights. I mean, that's very important for him going forward. And I think that's going to build his confidence in some close games you may have against a Miami or a Florida. Hope not, but we'll see how it goes. Well, this is what this is what I want people to pay attention to. Um, Miami just came off of a game with Virginia, and Virginia is a very bad football team. Yeah. So, therefore, honestly, you can say Miami is a very bad football team. But this is a rivalry. A rivalry. Look, I can't speak. A rival game. Yeah. So, you have to be very careful with how that pushes over into this week. But if you base it off of statistics and you base it off of what we've seen over the past three weeks from each team, this game will probably get out – should – get out of hand in the favor of Florida State. But because it's a rival, you never know what can happen. Um, I will oh, say yeah. – Oh, go ahead. I will say that Florida State put up over 650 yards against Georgia Tech. 396 passing yards is the highest – This like Jordan's best game ever, just statistically, passing yard-wise. Um and we rushed for like 270, I believe. So I personally think we should be able to see similars to this next week. But again, it's a rival game. Um, our score predictions for Miami and Florida State will come on the next episode on Thursday. Um, that way we have other things to talk about. Taylor, I've got a question as far as how worried were you sitting in the stands watching us play in the first quarter not so great. Like, we looked extremely rusty. Well, here's this. Um, they went for a fourth and two or fourth and three. I think it was on with Kentron Portier. Uh, just didn't go through. He didn't execute, didn't catch the ball officially. Inconsistencies have been really big for him going forward there. I think they really like what they saw out of Portier. But you just need to be more consistent. I think that's something that he's going to have to learn throughout his career. I think he'll be a little bit better next season. You're even seeing that with a guy like Malik McLean, who somebody talked about in the chat earlier. Um, this is a situation where second drive, you go out, you get all the way down to the two-yard line at that point, you take a wildcat situation. I thought they were very aggressive in this circumstance, but probably wasn't the best guy to run a wildcat with. I love the aggressiveness. I love that you want to be able to do that, but you wasted two timeouts before that also. You had Jordan out on the outside, which actually helped us in the end because if Florence still Philly fumbled, he wasn't going to make that tackle. He already missed him once. Jordan Travis had to come all the way across the field using his best DK Metcalf impersonation and just doing the best he could for his football team at the end of the day. And after you saw that, you saw that late touchdown at the end of the first quarter I thought was very big. Um, but like everybody was talking about, it's just the biggest critic of it all is us. You know, we're going to be the one to kind of screw ourselves over at times with the different mistakes that we had, different executions. You know, we had that where we could have went up 7 nothing. If we didn't have the uh, the dropped Wildcat situation there at the end, Georgia Tech wouldn't have scored that whole half. I mean, it's just a situation our defense was dominant. 24 yards allowed in the first half I thought was very important for us. I just thought there was a way that even when we were going down there and they had that fumble recovery and they picked it up and scored that field goal at the end, I didn't get the impression that Georgia Tech was going to move the ball very much. Uh, so it's just like you're playing your hair on fire at this point. You you have Fabian Lovett back. You have guys that want to be successful. 
And you even had a Tatum Bethune and Kalen Deloach, who I thought were playing with their hair on fire at this point. And I thought the linebackers played very aggressive. Now, when it comes to just being offensive side, because I, I saw a comment earlier about the red zone offense, I think Florida State's been a little bit more too selective on some of their red zone calls. I, I thought that efficiently between the 20s, I thought they run block very well. I thought that the defense usually keeps everything in front of them, opposing defenses. But when you're looking at it, when you're getting towards the goal line, getting towards that red zone opportunity, they're keeping everything in front of them at that point. So you don't really have much room to work with. That's just kind of the nature of football at this point. I don't think it's really necessary to run a wildcat with Lawrence to a Philly. I, I didn't really love that aspect of it. I, I didn't mind the wildcat call. But if you had a guy like Trey Benson back there, I thought it would be a little bit better of a situation, you know, maybe even having Jordan line up under center doing a quarterback sneak type of deal. DJ Lundy at fullback. I mean, I, I thought there were better options to go there rather than just saying, okay, let's just run a Lawrence to Philly out there that has never even received a direct snap in his, his entire career, even at, you know, before in his high school days. So just my thoughts. Well, Chip, I'll ask you about this. So, there was a particular scoring play where Toa Philly ran it in and dove for the pylon. Now, on television, which we, we had a watch party going on um, because I wasn't able to make it to the game, it was clear to me because I could see the full extension of his body, seeing the ball hit the pylon clearly before anything went out of bounds or he went down. Um, how worried were the fans and yourself in the stands when y'all saw that play? Uh, we weren't worried. We could see by the replay – that the ball had hit the pylon and um let's just say that still picture has been like the meme of the year yep i don't know that i was the first one to post it but i was damn sure close i thought it was absolutely hilarious um i that picture will probably stay with us for years to come um especially anytime we play georgia tech um we'll make sure it's not booty sniffing anymore hopefully they've changed their ways uh Taylor, another question that I want to ask because this was up in the questions and it didn't say specifically who it was asking, but yeah. would you trust Fitz to make a game-winning uh, kick or a tying kick after his recent success? Well, I will say this. Um, whenever he was kind of struggling there going 5 for 10 and he's just kind of getting his fills back into him again, he's getting back to the three-step drops um, and getting back to those techniques, no, I wouldn't of trusting him back then just because I think you have to gradually get him back to that stage. And I think Mike Norville did a good job in doing that rather than the NC State game – or not the NC State game, but the uh, Wake Forest game where he had to go out there because there was no other options at that point. You had to do what you had to do. But besides that, I mean, you, you can't really put him out there because, as James talked about before, it's a mental game with kickers. I think you have to really understand that. So once he gets that recent success going on and now he gets a couple of field goals going his way, he's made the last, I think, four, um, I think it's really important for him. I think that gives him a lot of confidence, and I think that's going to be something that Florida State is going to really hang their hat on because now they're not going for it on fourth and nine and fourth and ten from their own 35-yard line or whatever the case is. I think anything between 45 yards and under, I think, can actually be a legitimate kind of strength for them maybe. I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect, and I'm not saying he's going to miss, you know, not miss another field goal for the rest of the year, but I think you have a little bit more confidence in a guy that feeling a little bit more confident now. Yeah, and what I want to bring up is is everybody knows that we're 5-3 and three right now. We're one game away from bowl eligibility. And 
what better than to go and beat Miami at Miami's home, what I call Doak South? What better than that to become bowl eligible? Nothing in my eyes. But I will say this. I think the, the three games that Florida State's lost, well, they were 100% winnable games. Uh, maybe not so much with Clemson. Maybe that one was, eh. That better work was rough. <laughs> yeah. But but the other two games, I do blame self-inflicted wounds, bad decisions, bad play calling. Just self-infliction was the reason why we lost the other two games. I 100% agree with everybody on that, that we've been our, our own worst enemy at times in this season. The great part of this is, are those things – can be corrected. There are lessons to be learned. It's the fact of is do we learn them and do we not make those pro- do we not create those situations for ourselves again? Do we quit making bonehead plays? Do we quit making bonehead play calls? Well, in the first quarter of Georgia Tech, I am going to criticize the coaches this time. I, I have to because I seen it with my own eyes and I was pissed. For us to get cute again on the two yard line and start with a wildcat. Made zero sense to me. I would have understood this if we were in the second or third. Even even after we scored our first touchdown, even if it was in the first. But if we would have done that afterwards, I would have had no problem with it. Doing it on your first trying to score drive is absolutely a bonehead move. Um, we killed ourselves with um, – I can't think of words right now. But we killed ourselves with – Penalties before the snap. Y'all know the sure. word I'm looking for. But we killed ourselves with false starts. Killed ourselves with illegal substitutions. Killed ourselves with stupidity like that. Um, I don't agree with the illegal substitution one because there was no huddle. They said we broke huddle with 12 players. We were never in a huddle. Um, and the guy was running off the field. He was just coming from the other side of the field. So I disagree with that call, but it happened. So – Mike Norvell was actually asked about the uh, the pass interference. Well, I think Corey Clark from Warchan asked him about the uh, Johnny Wilson uh, pass interference call. Uh, did y'all? Because I know how I saw it live on the field. I thought it was pretty bad. Did Did you think like it was a a bang bang play, or did you think the refs just missed the call completely? I know it didn't really matter because we scored a touchdown on the play after, but did. Did that kind of go through your mind that, oh, gosh, the ACC refs are going to, you know, be be against us again? Well, when I saw it, you know, it basically stood for that acronym that we always use, ACC, another crappy call. Yeah. Um, it wasn't bang, bang. There was a long period of time before anything else happened. Like, I don't, you know, Ray Charles could have called that if he's still with us. Um, it was just a horrible call. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I absolutely have no idea what the ref saw on that play because um, it was it was blatantly not there. Whatever they were trying to come up with, it just didn't exist. So I was completely yeah. distraught. I, I'm gonna say I was pissed, but the other part of it, that play, which obviously, like you said, we made up for on the very next play and we threw the touchdown pass. But here's what pisses me off the most. The onside kick where they ended up driving and scoring the touchdown, that ball, go back and watch it a million times over. The ball was touched before 10 yards by a Georgia Tech player, and they never went back and reviewed it. Now, I do blame our coaches for not challenging it, but I think our coaches got caught up in the moment thinking they were just going to review it. 
And you also have to think about, too, a young guy like Azaria Thomas, I think, really missed the ball on that one because that's something they preach in special teams. You, you see it coming out of halftime. You know, you're getting the ball back. You're down by two possessions at that point. you got to have a splash some way because your offense really isn't generating anything. Um, or actually, it was actually uh, three possessions at that point because they were actually – that was the touchdown they scored. But it just kind of was weird, the whole situation. He kind of just sat there on – you know, trying to go grab it, but he didn't know if he was going to pick it up before 10 yards and then just didn't do anything. I, I was just very confused, but that's a mental lapse by him, but he's going to get better at that regard a little bit later on. But I just think that's a teaching moment that you can kind of go back on and film and really hone in on that special teams aspect of the team. And I think that's something they always buy into. And I think that's something they can really build off of. And I will say this, usually that's where Wyatt Rector is standing. Mm-hmm. And Wyatt Rector usually makes that play. So you can call that on coaches too if you want to. I don't care because um, I was pissed off about that play. Um, and this is – look, this is the good thing. We're now getting to the point where we can critique certain plays we don't like. We're critiquing yeah. the non-perfection. We want perfection, which we could have not ever done last year. We could have never critiqued to perfection because we were just – I don't know about y'all, but to me, we're night and day difference from last year to this year. Whereas I thought it was going to be a little bit smaller of a jump. It's a much bigger jump than what I expected because of wide receivers. Um, I do have a question that came up here at the bottom. Um, Do y'all believe that we'll get into situations with Miami? Um, Okay, so what he's basically trying to ask, do y'all feel like we're going to get in the situation with Miami? on fourth down a lot on their side of the field. I personally don't because Miami hasn't been able to hold anybody but Virginia. So I don't personally think we're going to be in any real fourth down situations, Um, maybe one or two, kind of like the Georgia Tech game. I don't anticipate five or six, no. I'm a little bit more nervous about that, and maybe I'm way off a little bit more. I think they're going to be playing a little bit more aggressive in that terms. And when you're looking at it, Florida State can be in a in a third and let's just say three situation. They try for a play action or something like that. Jordan gets sacked. They're in a thir- you know, fourth and nine situation at that point. And you're kind of out of field goal range, but you really don't want to punt kind of situation, maybe 41-yard line or so. Um, I think that's just a situation where Florida State can get themselves kind of beat. They have to stay ahead of the chains. And I talk about this a lot because Kenny Dillingham spoke about this a lot offensively. We don't really have the luxury to continue to fight back on third and longs. And if Miami sees we're kind of vulnerable in that situation, it could be kind of ugly in that regard sometimes. Chip, what are your thoughts? Well, what worries me is the play calling in the in the first quarter and a half that we had in Georgia Tech. We got too cute um, instead of just – doing what Florida State can do, run the ball down their throats, and Jay Tribe running the RPO. Uh, once we start, you know, once we stop getting cute, we we poured on the points and the poured on the offense. Um, you know, I'm a little nervous because, you know, I, I don't – if the coaching staff starts going cute, I'm going to end up pulling out what little hair I have. And, um, you know, I need all the hair I got. 
I do think we see Jordan run more this week. I was about to say the same thing because he only had a – I think he got sacked for seven yards, I believe. I think it was the only sack they had. Um, Wasn't really much of a run attempt. And I know a lot of people are going to be clamoring, saying he needs to use his legs, get short to sack. Why? Why? You don't have to. You don't have to. You had 396 yards. Plus, you had four deflections and four missed passes. So, you you could have been looking at 450 yards if you wanted to. Uh, there was a lot that was there uh, for Jordan throughout the afternoon. I mean, he was putting missiles on a couple of these throws. And I just think it's very important that fans kind of understand that. And now that it's a heated rivalry game where you have to get some of these first downs and you may be in a third and nine situation, you're going to have to use your legs then. And you saw that against Clemson, how he was able to utilize his legs there. So hopefully we see a healthy Jordan Travis with his legs running the football efficiently and kind of complimenting those backs that we have. And DJ, um, on the comments, DJ, I, I think it was misunderstood a little bit. No one was stating that RPO is cute. Yeah. We were talking about the getting cute with the Wildcat or getting cute with three fade calls. Like we yeah, didn't I love the RPO situations that, that we're doing because you can base a lot off of it. Try, and I think he had the, uh, the refs called a kind of backwards pass forward lateral kind of thing. They had to review it, and it, it wasn't. I like that because you're basing it off of a read, a read option. You're throwing <clears> the perimeter, kind of getting your athletes in space. I think it's very important, especially against an aggressive Miami defense that thinks they can go sideline to sideline sometimes, and they miss a lot of tackles. So that's where, you know, you can get a lot of those Micah Pittman type of screen passes that can go for a long distance. So I definitely don't think it's cute at all. I think that would definitely be a – I think, but that Wildcat was something. Yeah. Like I told you last, when we talked on the phone last night, like that just where, you know, I feel on that RPO play where Jordan ended up throwing the, the screen out to the side, he mm-hmm. could have he could have split the defenders and probably broke for about a 20, 25-yard run. That's what I didn't like about that play. Um, what I'm And like I said, what I meant by cute was the, the Wildcat, you know, I, we really haven't done the Wildcat at all this year, and I sure as hell wouldn't call that on the goal line. I would maybe for a, for a first down, but, you know, put J-Trav under center, give it to DJ Lundy, or just give it to your running backs. That's, you know, that's what I meant. I just wanted to clarify that. And, no, I do not think that Florida State's defense struggles against the run as far as running backs go. Because yeah. – Look, they had this is the first game that they broke 100 in the past three games, if I'm not mistaken, for Miami. They the game before this one, and I don't remember who they played, but they only they only rushed for 26 yards total as a team, 26 yards. This past game, they had a guy break 100. He went 101. Um, if Tyler Van Dyke plays in this game, I worry about him doing what he did to us last year a little bit with running the ball because um, we don't play well against mobile quarterbacks. But I do not fear the run from Miami, no. I will say this, though. It does help that we have Fabo back. And, of course, your interior of your defensive line is a big thing because Will Shipley absolutely destroyed us at certain times. And you're looking at those running quarterbacks like Jaden Daniels, I thought, did a really good job. I thought officially when they finally got Kalen Deloach out there to spy him, I thought he was kind of neutralized a little bit. Um, You're seeing more from Florida State because – I think they're kind of masking their secondary. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I do think they're masking some of their secondary, so they're pushing everything back, keeping everything in front of them. That's why you're not seeing a lot of explosive plays either. 
they're not bringing a whole lot of blitz packages because, as you saw with the Kevin Knowles uh, blitz against Clemson, he missed the tackle, one-on-one coverage. Mm. You know, but it's a safety against a wide receiver at that point. I understand that. But at the same time, they're trying to mask a lot of things on the secondary. And I think that's one reason why I think the run defense, as it looks statistically, I think they're at 72nd in the nation in, in rush defense. And they're actually top, I think, 10 in pass defense this year. And that really isn't a – numbers sometimes lie in that regard. And I think that's something that people have to understand when looking at the stats – but I think Florida State's going to do a better job in kind of neutralizing that run as soon as the secondary kind of gels a little bit more together. But I was impressed to see a, a, a greedy Vance uh, there. And I, I thought the uh, Renato Green dropped interception about lost my mind because I just I, – I couldn't believe it. You know, this defense needs a turnover. And, yeah, they still haven't got it. But I'm, I'm sure Miami's going to th- – throw at least you know, two or three at us because, you know, who, who doesn't throw eight turnovers against Duke and not have any against Florida State, so. Oh, and I want to bring this up a little bit. Um, I was – my favorite play of the whole Florida State-Georgia Tech game defensively was the, the C&A gap blitz that we did um, with Kalen DeLoach coming up the A gap and uh, Jamie Robinson coming off of the C gap. That was that was beautiful. Um, we ended up with three people in the backfield, but who got to him first was Kalen DeLoach. And it was all because we – I don't want to explain the terminology because it, it gets detailed and I'm going to confuse people if I start saying stuff. But we were able to pull their center to the opposite side of the field because of what was coming to allow Kalen DeLoach to come in completely untouched because they saw the, the guard – and the tackle saw the two blitzers on this side, so they tried to go after them, and the center went to the right, which allowed Kalen DeLoach to come straight up the middle, and it was absolutely beautiful. It was my favorite play defensively of the whole game. Um, look, we're going to be indifferent. Rivalry games are going to bring different aspects up from different fans. I personally expect a blowout. That's what I expect. I expect this to be a very similar game the Florida State and Georgia Tech that you just saw. The other two guys might not believe that. They might see a 34 to 28 kind of game. I don't know. But I can tell you that I fully expect a blowout. Um, there was a or there was a statement made, Akeem Dent needs to learn how to wrap up and tackle. Um, a couple people said they agree. Yeah. Um, I, I will say he needs to kind of focus in a little bit more. I actually think he's a really good defensive back. I just don't really think he's meant to kind of wrap up and tackle as much as a safety. I think he kind of gets away a little bit too much with that. But I do think he is a solid a solid defensive back. I think you can kind of build your team off of him and Jamie Robinson at that point. Now he does have to make improvements. This secondary is not perfect, as I said before. I think certain aspects of it, um, even in a Marion Cooper, for example, he was injured earlier in the season. You haven't really seen him be himself yet. So I think if he's able to kind of generate that in the last five games of this, or four games of the season, kind of like he did last year, man, that would be a crucial get for Florida State and having to get back to that nine and three record that we all want uh, for this team. And I will let y'all know this too. This is the second worst wide receiving group that we'll go against this year. There's only one that's worse, and that's in Louisiana Lafayette. But this is the worst wide receiver group as far as production goes that we will go against this year. So I fully anticipate our corners having – look, 
I expect Miami to cough the ball up a couple times. I expect us this to be that game where Florida State gets a couple of turnovers just based off of Miami putting in the breadbasket of so many other teams over the past three or four weeks. I mean, they've done a really good job of throwing it to the wrong guy. Uh, they've done a really good job of coughing the ball up in the middle of the field on a run. They've done really well at that. And Jamie Robinson being that safety in the middle, there's a lot of times that people get mad at Jamie for not making that big hit because he allows someone else to get there first because he wants to rip the ball away. But if you go back and watch him over the years, man, he is great at ripping the ball away. He does a great job of getting that ball out. So that's why I prefer to see him do that. Um, I think Fabo in this, I think in the Miami game, Fabo, Bethune, Deloach are going to be your three defensive stars in this game. I think they're going to wreak absolute havoc on the offensive line for Miami. I also think that they're going to create turnovers. I, I think there's going to be a lot of mismatch. Miami's offensive line is not terrible, but they're an average unit at best. They're very average. They're not great. Uh, they don't block well on the run, and they don't block well on the pass. Um, that's why if you've got Garcia in there, this game's essentially a hell of a blowout. But if TVD's in there, they do have a chance of making the game somewhat close. Um, even though a lot of people aren't happy with TVD on the Miami side, I don't think TVD's their problem. I think it's changing their entire offensive system with Gaddison or Gaddis or however he says his name. Um, they That has completely ruined this team offensively, losing their offensive coordinator and bringing in Gaddis. I will say this, and I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned about Florida State's second-half defense, uh, specifically the first drive in the second half. Um, it just seems like we're not really gelling together, and I understand the onside kick. You know, you, you're bringing back response and adversity and everything like that, but they have to find a way to make some stops here at the second half and feel a little bit better coming out of halftime. So I'm a little bit more worried about that, uh, especially when you got a, a big tight end like Will Mallory, I think, uh, Michael Mayer uh, from last year with Notre Dame, I thought was a very big key for them too. And the linebackers have to cover in space. Tatum Bethune is a very, very good linebacker, but can he cover in space? Can you get a guy like Jamie Robinson and Akeem Dent to cover that massive tight end? Because that's their leading wide receiver at this point. Uh, they also have Colby Young, who is a six-five receiver. He's kind of came on strong after uh, the last couple of games. I think can be very efficient for them too. Do y'all worry about those two guys, or do you think it's just kind of blown out of proportion right now for that Miami team? I believe, it, I believe it's blown out of proportion because, like I told Chris before, and uh, Taylor, I might have told you at the last tailgate we were at, Van Dyke has to throw himself into rhythm. And this offense does not allow him to throw himself in rhythm. Where under uh, what um, – Who's the last loser coach? His name slipping my mind. Manny Diaz. Yes, under under little Manny, um, they were throwing the ball sixty, you know, fifty, sixty times a game. Under under wannabe Super Mario, they're not doing that. Um, he's asked to throw the ball maybe twenty, thirty times, and they want to run the ball down people's throats. And Van Dyke's not able to get himself into a rhythm, so that's the reason why he's had an uptick in interceptions because he's forcing a lot of stuff. And that bodes very well for us. Well, what hurt Miami the most, in my opinion, um, as far as offense goes, 
is they brought in Gaddis because Lashley left to be the head coach at SMU. Mm -hmm. um, and Lashley, like, fit the entire offense to fit TVD. And Gaddis came in here and completely changed that. And I think it's a, it's a culture shock for TVD. That's why he was benched in one game. Um, I also think that's why he's hurt right now. I think the reason that he got hurt is because he held on to the damn ball too long because he was waiting on a play to develop. They couldn't develop because their wide receivers can't get separation. They're in the situation where Florida State was last year. Like I tell a lot of people this, Miami is almost in the exact situation that Florida State was in year one with Mike Norvell. Their wide receivers couldn't get separation. A brand new system was put into place, and they just don't have the talent to just pick up this new offensive scheme. They just don't have it yet. So I think that Miami this year, after it's over with, they'll probably have 20 guys transfer. I, I, there's already a number of guys talking about transferring out. Yeah. I still think Jalen Knighton, uh, the running back they have there behind Henry Parrish, their starting running back, uh, we recruited him for a while, and I think that could be a situation where he transfers out. Not to Florida State. I mean, he could. Yes, he but, transfers away from Miami. I mean, I just, yeah, I just don't see a lot of running backs because we already got Cedric Baxter who uh, visited this past weekend, and that's going to be a recruitment to the very end with that. If, if we're able to get him on a visit for December, um, that could be very, very uh, special with flipping him from Texas. And uh, I think that's a Florida State commit that you really have to put your hands on at that point. Um, even though you got guys like C.J. Campbell, you know, and other guys like that behind him and, and Rodney Hill and – you, you got some decent weapons behind him, and you saw that three-headed monster that we have now. I don't know how much of a need that is, you know. Um, that's going to be something that Mike Norville talked about before with the transfers and the recruits. They really don't know how to manage everything because it's just all brand new. But that's kind of the beauty of everything. Yeah, I agree. And, and here's the other thing. Um, I'm not stating that Miami – and Florida State are on equal playing ground. I know that first year with us was a COVID year. What I'm saying is, is there's a lot of similarities to what's wrong with their offense this year. It's very similar to what was wrong with Florida State's offense in the first year. Not stating that they shouldn't be better than they are, because I believe that Miami does have enough talent to be better than what they are. Um, but right now, and I'm questioning, you know, when a head coach goes into a press conference, not the Virginia one because they won that game, but the press conference before that and throw your guys under the bus the way that he did, you might not have lost the entire locker room, but you definitely lost some of those guys. And they might be trying to get rid of X amount of players because they don't fit that system. So it's not good for the rest of this year for Miami, but it's good for them in the future to get rid of those guys. So that's what I'm talking about on similarities. If y'all want to – um, let everybody know where to follow you and stuff like that. We're going to cut this one a little bit short. Um, I still got about six minutes of stuff that I got to go through at the end, but uh, Taylor, start with you, and then y'all can start falling off. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can follow me at Norval Central. I'm about at 14,500 now, kind of slowly getting up. At, you know, the season fluctuates a little bit, so, you know, bear with me on that one. But Twitter, I'm Central Norvell on that one. I use it every so often. I try to get some edits out there, some other news and stuff like that as well. Trying to get slowly back into the YouTube side of things. I do appreciate the donation earlier. I really appreciate that. But uh, just excited to see how I can kind of develop those social brands together. Um, also, be sure that when we come off this uh, this home stretch or this road stretch right here, 
Louisiana Lafayette and Florida home games at the end of the year. Be sure to use our our, our um, SeatGeek ambassador codes as well. Um, and I, I think we're going to be able to pack Doke at the very end of the season, especially if we go, uh, you know, a seven and three and we got Louisiana Lafayette and Florida at the end of the year. I think it's going to be something very, very exciting. So it's definitely going to be an exciting time for us and can't wait for the Thursday preview episode. Appreciate it, Taylor. You can catch on um, this is Chip. You can catch me at uh, Unconquered 850. Um, you can catch me every week, Monday and Thursday, on the, the podcast of Spirax with Chris and Taylor. Um, you can catch me on Twitter. Uh, I post a lot of stuff and tag all them at Chip Westerly9, and the same with uh, Instagram. And uh, everybody, keep tuning in to Spiratics. Chris has got a lot of good, good stuff coming up. This guy knows his shit. He loves this university. And um, Chris, I thank you for having me on, bud. I like, love to grow with you. Appreciate it, Chip. As always, love having y'all on. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit before it goes off. Um, I do this every every episode. This is the most time that I've had after an episode because I want to give the fans motivation. This is what I'm. This is who I am. I love this university, which Chip was just talking about it. But I love this university so much that I was one of the only people, one, I didn't say the only, but one of the only ones that had faith in this coaching staff, had faith in this administration, had faith in the athletes that we already had here. Um, a lot of people were coming up against it saying we hired, you know, a G5 coach. Um, it was the wrong move. We just hired Willie Taggart 2.0. I ain't got nothing against Willie Taggart either. But that's what was said. I'm just using the words that came from fans. Still to this day, we've got fans saying that Norvell's not the right guy for the job, stuff to that nature. So I disagree completely. I think that Mike Norvell and the staff are the right staff for the job. I think that they are going to continue to grow. Unfortunately, they are a young Power 5 coaching staff. Not that they're youthful, not that they're 13 years old out here coaching, the fact is, is they are a young Power 5 coach. This is a staff that has been in Power 5 as long as they've been at Florida State, so not very long. And we have seen consistent progression from year one to now year three. If we end up winning nine games this year or eight games this year and we go to a bowl and we win that game, you cannot complain. If we win eight games this year without the bowl win, that's more games than we won over the past two seasons. You can't complain and say that that's not progression or progress. You have to agree that that's progress. So you keep supporting this team. You keep showing up. We wouldn't play Georgia Tech this past weekend. We didn't look great in the first quarter, on a portion of the second quarter. But this team came together. The coaching staff came together, put a complete second, third, and fourth quarter together, enough to go 41-16. to 16. The defense stood up. Throughout the entire second quarter, five, five straight drives, three and out, causing a punt. We allowed 24 rushing yards in the entire first half. That is an amazing effort by the defense in the first half. Second half, they lacked a little bit, but they still, there was two goal line stances that we didn't allow them to come away with points at all. Um, you cannot complain about what this team has been able to do over the past few weeks for sure. After the bye week, getting Fabian Lovett back, 
that's the other thing that I want everybody to pay attention to. The beginning of the year, we lost Bless Harris. Bless Harris is probably one of the better offensive linemen that we have. Not to mention the very first offensive lineman we lost at the beginning of the year was Caden Lyles. was supposed to be our starting center. One of the best centers in the country, in my opinion. We lost him at the beginning of the year. So we're doing all of this with a piece-together offensive line. We're doing all this with trying to get Jordan Travis to be more of a pocket-passing QB when the legs are his greatest strength. Now, I want to see him run a little bit more. I want to see the old Jordan Travis come out in these last four games because I think we're going to need it. Um, not so much against Miami, but just get him ready for that that mobile move, um, get him ready to hit those lanes the way that he used to because he has the speed and he has the agility. He has the awareness to make those runs. So we're going to need that in the next games like Syracuse. We're going to need it against Florida, in my opinion, because Florida's defense is by far the better defense that we're going to play for the rest of the year. Maybe Syracuse is a tad bit better as far as production goes, but I think that there's more dogs on that Florida defense than what Syracuse even has. I just think Syracuse is better coach because they've been in the system a lot longer and they got a lot of five-year guys or four-year guys. So I think that Jordan Travis is going to have to turn on the wheels. I think it's going to have to happen. Um, this is Miami hate week. Florida State's going to Doak South Saturday. And if a Miami fan hasn't thanked you for getting them back on national television at primetime, that's just another reason to tell them to kiss your ass. That's my opinion. So, as we all walk into Doak South, and as you see Miami fans, make sure you do this. Always. Always. Now, I'm not telling you to get into fights with people. I have, I do not condone violence in any, any way, shape, or form. Defend yourself at all costs. But do not start fights with people. We are all... We all want this state to be back where it used to be as far as the three schools that have ran this state for so long and ran the country nationally as far as football goes. We all want to get back there. But this is a rivalry. We need to come back and be the Florida State that we know we can be. And we can do this with the fan support. Our band is not going to be there. War chant is not going to be played. There is not a financial reason for this. I have spoke to many people at Florida State that know the answer to this question. It is not a financial problem. The last time that the Marching Chiefs went there, they had sodas and stuff like beer cans and et cetera thrown at them. They actually injured two of our uh, band members. Um, also, where they wanted to sit the band at was in a complete terrible section up in the third row, and they want to drown that sound out with the auto audio play that they have down at the um, audio room. So they were going to treat our band like complete Chicago again. So that's the reason why the war, the uh, chiefs aren't going this game. So we need to come to the game and do and you know, tenfold. And we need to root for Florida state and we'll do our own damn war chant. We'll do our best to our ability just to take up for the marching chiefs. And I think that we can do that. And I think this is, you know, going to end up being a great year for Florida State athletics, not just the football team. You look at the soccer team, you look at the softball team, you look at the basketball team. They just played their expedition game. They've done a great job. Everybody's off to the right start. The softball team is going to be something great this year. And don't forget, Link, the new head coach of the baseball team, is getting in um, recruits left and right. We're having a great coming up in uh, Florida State Athletics. So be a part of it. Support now 
and don't support later because we're winning. Support now. Be part of the change. Be part of the reason why we win. With that, everybody, I appreciate you coming and listening to Spirit Addicts by Sideline Sports Network. Remember, it's always brought to you by Game Day Vodka. Y'all have a great night and go Noles.